Well, it's good to be home. When you, uh, when you visit a, a different church every Sunday, it takes me two years and four months to get to all 85 churches. And so it's nice to get to be home. And as I think I told you a lot, I love you. Now, I might as well tell you, you're going to hear some of the same old stories. But uh, I'll try to be faithful to what the Lord has for us. Uh, Last Saturday night, it was about 8.30, and a pastor called me, and he said, I have COVID. Could you come and preach? And I said, sure. And you, you probably remember, my sermons aren't very good, so I throw away all my notes, so I don't have any just to pull out of the can. But um, he called back a half an hour later, and he said, my worship pastor wants to preach, so we don't need you. And I said, well, thanks. <laughs> and about 10 o'clock, my phone buzzed again, and it was another pastor. And he said, I've got COVID. Could you come to Felicity and preach for me? And I said, Sure. And then he called back in about a half an hour and he said, everyone in our church has it, so we've canceled church. We don't need you. (laughs) So yesterday about noon, I get this call from a kid named Alex. And he said, Dad, I, uh, I think I've got COVID. Could you come and preach? So instead of going to Drexel this morning, I, I wasn't preaching there, so I said, sure, I can do that. And uh, then I was going to be at Parkview to welcome their new associate pastor. And then after, after this, I go to SNC Springdale Hispanic. So I'll be worshiping in Spanish this afternoon. So, but it's a great privilege to be here. Now, it, it was kind of strange. Um, I like it when the pastors tell me where I'm supposed to preach. So I don't just shotgun it. And Alex said, Dad, I, I, need, you to, I need you to preach about Article 13 in the manual. I have never in my life been asked to preach from the manual. (laughs) But I have good news for you. The manual includes a lot of scripture and is really good. So we're going to deal with with section 13 of the manual. And it is about what we would call Holy Communion. This is base camp is your theme. And so we're trying to talk about the things that are basic to us. Um, I'm, really, I'm really glad to be in the Church of the Nazarene. We're not the only church. We are a really, really, really good church. But I'm glad for the freedoms that we have in the Church of the Nazarene. D- did you know that we think you should do this in remembrance of me, Luke 22, communion, but we don't say how you should do it. <laughs> uh, you can do it with intention. You can do it with... you. You could do it with really real wine if you wanted to. No, shouldn't do that. Uh, but at any rate, um, it, it's communion. And we believe in Holy Communion. Because you know why? Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. And we should do what Jesus tells us to do. So um, why do people not have communion? Um, Well, some people think if you take it unworthily that you're in trouble. But that's kind of a catch-22 because I already mentioned from Luke 22, it says this do and remember to me. So do it, but make sure you're ready to do it. And some would say um, it's, it's just a habit. It loses its, it, it loses its meaning. So we don't want to do it too often. Um, you know, 
communion doesn't lose its meaning, we lose the meaning if we don't do it well. Uh, too busy. I remember there are times in planning worship services we'd say, wow, it'll take like this much time, so uh, wow, we just, we don't have time to do communion. And I'm not lobbying for how often we do communion. The manual doesn't say how often. <laughs> I believe you do it once a month. I think that's a great practice. One of the earliest denominations said you should do it three times a year. Church of the Nazarene used to say in the old manual that you should do it quarterly or four times a year. And of course, you know there are a lot of churches that do it every week. Um, I'm a big fan of Southeast Christian. I was on a, a sabbatical there and they do it during the last song of every worship service. Uh, you're beginning to sing and the ushers come down the aisle and they pass the elements. They do it every week. And they don't say anything about it. They just do it. I'm not telling you what's right and wrong. I'm just saying Holy Communion is something that Jesus said we should do. So I want us to understand it a little better. And so I'm going to get kind of technical with it, but instead of reading from... I'm really, I'm preaching from the manual and I'm reading from the book of God. The book of God is Walter Wangeren, great author, and he kind of put the Bible in a story form. So this is not scripture, it's taken from Luke's gospel, but I want to read to you Walter Wangeren's take on the communion. It's not very long, but I, I, it gives me a different feel. So, you know, he has just said, one of you is going to betray me, and they're all looking at each other and think, oh no, is it me, is it me, is it me, is it me? And you know, you know Peter, I will not deny you. I don't know how you thought he said it, but I, I really like this. But Simon Peter uh, raised his arm and declared, he put his hand up, <laughs> uh, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. In fact, Jesus had ceased listening to Simon's bluster. <laughs> don't you love that? He'd had enough of him, so he just, fellows were going on. So here it is. Um, he gathered himself into a formal position, sitting cross-legged uh, before the table. He took the unleavened bread in two hands and ele elevated it in a motion so dignified, so noble and holy, that Simon and every other man in the room was reduced to an awesome silence. Aloud, Jesus blessed the bread. He brought it low and broke it in two and then handed it to his disciples saying, take and eat. They obeyed Jesus, watched, and when they all were eating the bread, he declared, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Their chewing became massively slow. Jesus took the cup of the Passover wine and lifted it and gave thanks. And then he gave it to his disciples exactly as he had given the bread. While they were drinking it, he said, this is the blood of the covenant shed for many for the remission of sins. Do this as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. Wow. So again, that's not exact scripture, but kind of sometimes helps us think about what was it like? And today we're going to close the service with communion. I will not be important to the closing of the service in communion, but your faith in Jesus Christ 
your knowledge in who he is and what he means to you will make Holy Communion significant. Nobody else. It is corporate. We are instructed to do it. But it's highly private and personal. And so it is for each of us. It has different names. I'm going to go over a few of them. A lot of this is almost like just kind of a review of what is it, and then we'll get to it. First of all, it was called a Eucharist. Oh boy, now that's high church, isn't it? Do you know what that means? It's Thanksgiving. We give thanks for Holy Communion. Secondly, this is probably the most intellectual, it is the sacrament of sanctification. Church of the Nazarene, we have two sacraments. Baptism, the sacrament of initiation. When you are baptized, it's a great day because you are declaring your faith, Jesus Christ, as Lord of your life. And so that's baptism. That's a sacrament. God comes. Sacrament means that grace flows. When that happens, grace flows. This is the second sacrament, the sacrament of sanctification. Now, you're thinking, okay, that's one of those Nazarene words. No, it's not a Nazarene word. It's a church word. And sanctification, we really believe that when you accepted Jesus Christ, he came into your heart. Do you remember Campus Crusade for Christ crew? And they had a heart, and then they would put a chair in there as a throne. And when you accepted Jesus, the cross came into your heart. But at some point, the cross needed to sit on the throne of your heart. That, that's kind of a good way to understand it. When you accepted Jesus Christ, he came into you, all of him, God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit came into you. But then as you began to grow in him, we believe that sanctification is progressive. It is a growth. Now, some of you are thinking, he's not saying the other word. I will in just a moment, but you begin to grow. The Holy Spirit is in you and the Holy Spirit is guiding you and leading you. And you know, it's kind of like being married. This morning I was getting ready to come here and, and Carolyn, who's at Parkview today, she said, Bob, I don't want you to hug anyone because there's COVID down there and we don't want it. <laughs> and I said, Carolyn, I, I always get at least 100 hugs when I go to church there. You're asking me to like, ah! <laughs> and, and so if I'll bump fists with you, I'll pat you, but we're, we're not hugging today. I'll get you the next time when COVID's not so big. But. So you see, it's, it's like the Holy Spirit, like your wife is telling you what to do. It's a good thing. <laughs> so when you take communion, it is the sacrament of sanctifying. Every time you do it, you take a step closer. You honor the obedience. You allow him to be more and more and more Lord of your life. Now, I will just tell you that in the Church of the Nazarene, we believe in entire sanctification. That doesn't mean you are immediately perfect. Doesn't mean you're going to get a hundred on every test after that. It means there is a moment in time in our growth where we realize there is still a battle. The cross is not on the throne. There is a battle and we understand our will is sometimes defiant to, defiant to the will of the Holy Spirit. 
And we come to a point where we must say, Lord, sanctify me completely. I want a perfect heart. I will be completely devoted to you. I will be completely consecrated to you. And, and some churches, last year, you know, we, we almost, we lost most of a whole church. A pastor was preaching that there was no such thing as entire sanctification. It is just all progressive sanctification. And so we can't be the church of the Nazarene because we don't believe in entire sanctification. And 45 of 50 people left. We have a church with five. I'm glad to tell you it grew to 13 this year. That's good growth. But we believe in entire sanctification. We believe that it's a point in time when the crisis of the Holy Spirit and my will need to be unified. For me, it happened when I was 15 years old. It didn't happen at an altar. It happened sitting on my family room floor. Played basketball for about three hours every day. Wanted to be good, never quite made it. And, and, and I'd come in and I would be one of my spiritual gifts, sweaty. I mean, really, I sweat well. And you know, if you come home and jump in the shower, you get out, you're still sweating. I mean, it's clean sweat, but you're still sweating. So I believed somewhere I got this that you, you needed to cool down, you know. Uh, the machine in you needs to cool down. And, and so I would sit on the floor on a towel with a towel on the back of the sofa so I wouldn't stain it. And my mom would feed me books. In fact, she would feed me missionary books. It's part of the reason I love missions so much. One of the books was called Fools Have No Miracles, 1970. Chuck Milhuff, you've probably heard of him, possibly heard of him. He spoke for a revival at Bethany Nazarene College. The college was in financial sensitivity. And um, he thought by the last evening of the, the revival that every student had been saved. And so he thought, what am I going to preach the last night? And what he did is he challenged all, I think, 1,800 students to trust the Lord to give $100 to the school and that God would help them. Most college kids are poor. Didn't hear any amens from the college kids. And so it seemed like a ridiculous thing to pledge $100 in 30 days to give to the college. But they did it. And this book is story after story after story of how God helped them. So you know what I did? I'm sitting on the floor. I'm sweaty. And I said, you know, I've tried to play the piano in church. I've spoken on Sunday night in church. I've never missed Sunday school twice in my life. I had year pins down to eight, that far. And um, I had sung in the choir. I, 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 at 15, I was the NYPS, now NYI president. So I was on the church board at 15. And um, God kind of, kind of tapped me on the shoulder and, and he said, have you ever given money to the church? This is not about money, folks. And, I, and oh yeah, yeah, my parents taught me to tithe. Every time I got a dollar, I'd give a dime in the offering. I, I tithed, I taught that as a little boy. But have you ever really given something? No. In that moment, I said, Lord, I'm all yours. My future, all of me, it's yours. Every penny that I ever handle is yours.
And I really kind of felt the Holy Spirit saying, in the next 30 days, I should give $100 to my church. There was no campaign. It was just a personal challenge of obedience. And I've told the story here before, so I won't get into it. But at day 26, I was at $38. <laughs> and I was going, oh no. And a miracle happened and I ended up with $138. And I called my pastor and I said, uh, could I ride my bicycle, the Firestone 500 Zebra machine down to your house and hand you something? And he said, no, we're leaving town right now. And I said, but this is really important. Uh, I don't know if I said, he said, we're going to Logan, Ohio. I lived in Athens and we're going to be with our pastor there. And I said, well, you're going to come up the East End and you're going to come up Congress and you're going to get on 33 and there's an Ashland station. If I'm sitting there on the zebra machine, would you just stop and roll down your window so I can give this to you? And uh, he said, if you're there, but if you're not there, I'm going on. Great pastor, don't you think? <laughs> Buddy, I'm trying to give you money. <laughs> And so I, I went up to the Ashland station. I'm sitting on my zebra machine and I, I've, I've got this crinkled envelope that every day I had looked at my coins and my dollars and counted them to see how it was done. It was all wrinkled up. It was more than folded in half. And he pulled up at the gas station and I walked over and I handed to him and he said, what's this? I said, it's, it's just some money for the church. And he took off. But I was obedient. I did what God called me to do. On that August afternoon, I committed my all. I was completely consecrated. I was in complete devotion. I am not perfect. But I believe my heart is. Because the Holy Spirit has sanctified me. We believe there is this moment of crisis when we yield everything. And then you go on and on. It's still progressive. You haven't arrived. And then one day, either Jesus comes or you go, but you're glorified. <laughs> then it's the real perfect. And so this is a sacrament of sanctifying, sanctification. Another word for it is that uh, this is the Lord's Supper. You've heard that. Or some people would say it's the supper. Those people were saying it was just that Jesus ate with his people. It wasn't just this one. It's that he ate with them all the time. The, the, some people call it the meal. Some call it holy communion. Some people call it the table of the Lord. Some call it breaking of bread. And there is still theological debate of what is happening. Is it celebrating eating together? How many of you think it's good to eat together? Man, I love eating together. Want to go to Skyline? <laughs> it's a good thing. You know, it's when we get to know each other. It's, it's when we share beyond the, hey, how are you? I'm fine, thanks. How are you? It's when we, last night I got to eat with about four people here. And I, it was good. It was really good. Carolyn said, man, those are neat people. And I said, duh. I know that, you know. But uh, whatever it is, so was this another meal with his disciples? Was this the Last Supper? Was this 
the celebration of the Passover, which the Jews had come to Jerusalem to, to fulfill. It was all of those. And it's what we do when we have communion. Now I'm going to get technical with you. There are four views of communion. This will be good on your next theology test that you take. The first one came to us in the ninth century, a long time ago, and it is called transubstantiation. You uh, interns from Mount Vernon, you, you just shake your head like you know what we're talking about here, okay? Transubstantiation. And again, I'm going to mention other churches. I'm, I'm all for all the churches. If they believe in Jesus Christ, we're a good church. We're not the only church. We're a, but the Catholic Church in the ninth century, who gives tons of authority to the church, to the pope, to the bishop, to the cardinals, to the priests, when they look at communion, which happens in a mass, they believe in transubstantiation. It means that the priest has God-given authority to bless the sacraments. This is going to be a little funny to you. And in transubstantiation, the bread and the juice really become the body of Jesus Christ. So when scripture says you are drinking the blood and eating the body, that's where they come up with this. The actual elements become sacred. Uh, funny story, um, my mom, who was here for seven years, and, or a little longer than that, um, she called me one day before she moved here, and she said, uh, we have a new pastor on Easter Sunday. And he thought it would be good to serve communion on Easter Sunday, first Sunday of being in the church. And so he was getting all of the elements ready on the communion table. He had heard that the church ran about 40 people, but he also heard that on the pastor's first Sunday, people come to check him out, so there might be 80. But it was Easter, and about twice as many people come to church on Easter, so he had the table set for 160. There were 37. <laughs> Transubstantiation says those become sacred elements. And if that's what you believe, you can't throw them away. So this new pastor came down and stood in front of the communion table and drank all of the rest of the juice and ate all the rest of the elements because it's sacred. Well. You, you go a little further and we have consubstantiation. How, how, how come you're the only one taking notes? This is really important. <laughs> consubstantiation, any of you speak Spanish? What does con mean? With. So it means with these elements, the very presence of God comes and they become sacred, not because they are his body and blood, but because he is with them. So this is still a very high view of the elements. The third one happened in 1500s by a guy named, that was Luther, by the way. In the 1500s, there's a guy named Zwingli. And Zwingli believes in the memorial of the sacraments. He believes that the sacraments just cause us to remember what Jesus did and how important. So the sacraments, they don't have any kind of power in them, 
but they cause us to remember. That's where we are as the Church of the Nazarene. We are memorialists in the sacrament of communion. The fourth one is Calvin. You've heard of John Calvin in the 1550s. And he believed in spiritual presence or real presence or, or yeah, the, the, the elements are important, but it is such a, such a holy spiritual moment that grace is imparted. That's pretty true, but we really believe the memorial, okay? Now, I, I wanna bring this home. Can I do that? Um, I, I'm, many of you know I'm a little different. Um, I, I, I think things are very important that, and I keep them. So uh, it was at this church years ago that you gave me the gift of handkerchiefs be, because I cry a lot. I got it from your pastor. Steve, Nicole, Grace, and Emma Cadell. Isn't that great? Jerry, Carol, Dockery. I try not to blow my nose on you, Carol. <laughs> we will miss you, Tabitha, Brian, Wells, Cameron, Bryson, Ham, Hamer, Hammer, Maddie, uh, Stephen, Darlene, Gill, the whole Badenhop family. You think I would get rid of these? Not for anything in the world. I think about you wherever I am every Sunday. I don't carry the same one every Sunday, but... Okay, now then I got this one. You usually see me with white handkerchiefs. You know what's special about this? This was my dad's. Um, I have my dad's Barlow and I have a paper mate pen and I have five of his handkerchiefs and that's what I have. I remember and it gets me. You know I love pens. About six months ago one of you sent me a pen but this is the pen. How many of you remember John Goodworth? Reverend Goodworth? pastored all of his life in little churches of the Nazarene. He was here for quite a few years when he passed, and he gave me this pen. He's my hero. I, I asked him once if he would like to lead us in communion, and he said, Pastor Bob, no, I'm, I'm finished doing that. Would you like to go with me to the hospital? No, I just wanna clean windows and make the church ready for the people to come. Okay, you ready? I'm, I'm gonna stretch the box a little bit. Robert Scott, would you come up here, please? He doesn't know this is happening. It may take him a while to forgive me, but I think this will get the lesson to you. Uh, this is my first little boy. <laughs> He could take me in a second. <laughs> when he was big enough to go to college, we drove eight hours, seven and a half hours from Nashville, Tennessee, up to Mount Vernon Nazarene College University. And we were gonna drop off our first child. And any of you remember doing that? Something, isn't it? And so most of you knew my wife, Elaine, one of the most perfect people in the world. 
she scripted everything. Do you remember our big vacations and all that? She scripted, she knew, she planned everything. And so she had this trip laid out. We're going to take him up there. They do this cutting of the ribbon ceremony out on the green. And, and they have a meeting with the parents and a prayer time in the chapel and all of that. But Elaine was really locked in on one moment. Do you know where I'm going? <laughs> For the moment that we would let go. Elaine went to the bank and got a brand new $100 bill. And we were going to stand somewhere on the campus and our three kids were all going to form a circle. And we were going to pray that God would take care of our little boy. Robert Scott's roommate was Michael Graves, dear friends. Michael Jordan was big, the Chicago Bulls were big, so they had matching black and red bedspreads with the bull's insignia on it. Everything in the room was black and red. I thought it was a little girly, but <laughs> girls would have done lighter. But... And we had him all ready to go. We were ready for the kind of sacramental moment of family prayer to release our child. <laughs> he was so excited to get with the kids and lose his parents <laughs> that he didn't have time to pray with us. So we got in the car and left. I'll never forget, you know Elaine, she said, I'm so mad I could spit nails. <laughs> well, when we took Alex to college and Bethany College, they learned the lesson. They were going, Mom, Dad, you want to pray now? Your mom is gone. This isn't the same $100 bill. But it's a remembrance of how much she loved you. Uh, okay, let's draw some parallels. He probably doesn't need the $100, so you can, his kids will ask him for it, I know. <laughs> it isn't the actual $100 bill, so our elements are not the actual elements from the upper room. But you see, what just happened, there's a lot of remembering to it. I had one professor that said the main word of the Old Testament is remember. Remember the Red Sea experience. Remember Moses before the rock. Remember, remember all the times and ways that God has saved you and come to you way beyond what you deserve. That day he didn't deserve the $100 bill, but she loved him and would be thrilled that I did that. When we take communion in a few minutes, we don't deserve it. This isn't the real element. Uh, we could do, I think I said this, we could do intinction, we could do real wine, we could do, you. what do we got here? We've got gluten-free. <laughs> it isn't this. 
It isn't how we do it. It isn't that you have to come and kneel at this altar. It isn't that we have to pass it down the aisle. What this is is a symbol. And Jesus said, just do it. And when you do it, remember. Communion is sacrificial. Jesus Christ sacrificed himself for you and me. It is sacramental in that he told us to do it. Grace flows if you're ready. And it's also a celebration. I just want to predict something to you. You're doing it here. When you do your uh, baptisms, it's really celebration now, isn't it? You, you got the tank down here in the front instead of up in the back the way we used to do it. And don't we cheer and scream when someone gets sick? Because sacraments are good news. Well, I predict that 20 or 30 years from now, when you take the sacrament of communion, people will cheer and scream and shout because this is good news. Jesus did this for us. Jesus gives this to us. And guess what? He's coming again. He wasn't just crucified. He resurrected. And he isn't just resurrected and with the Father now. He is coming back. Wow, this is good news. This is communion. Matthew thought it was for the disciples. Paul said it was from everyone, for everyone. Do it till he comes. It's just, it's just who we are. And Manual 13 says, Article 13, we believe in communion. We believe in the Lord's Supper. We believe it's a part of our worship. And we should do it as instructed. Are you ready? Now, while you're getting ready, you have to peel that little top clear plastic place off. My last story. Um, I hadn't been the pastor here very long, so probably 12 or 13, no, probably uh, now with six years since, it's probably like 17 years ago. We had communion and, and I was trying to make it really special. And, and, and there was someone sitting up in the balcony. And so I, I said what I'm going to say to you in a moment. And when I finished, and I was walking over here to where I sit, and, and this lady came out of the balcony, and she used a bad word. kind of shocked me. And she went, beep. You didn't think I was going to say it, did you? It's just like Jesus was right beside me. That's what we're after. Don't just do it. His grace is flowing. He is real. He's alive. He's here. So I went on a sabbatical in the Holy Land, and I've said this many times. Dr. Mark Zies said there are only four or five places in the Holy Land where your foot might be on the same dirt where Jesus walked. You know, that even the main street of Jerusalem is now five to ten feet higher than it was. You can sometimes look through the big boulders and see the original street, but 
you're not going to be in Jesus' footprint. But one of the places was at the Temple Mount, where you start going up to where the temple was. And he said, at the bottom of those steps, in that dirt, Jesus' feet were probably there. Wow. You know, you just kind of thinking, walk the day where Jesus walked. He said, the other place that you're going to experience this is after the Last Supper, when Jesus came out of Jerusalem and headed down the hillside, if you've been there, you can see it. It's a steep hill and there is a little brook. It's called the Kidron Brook. It's in scripture. And then you go up the other side to the Garden of Gethsemane where he prayed in the trees. But he came from the Last Supper. He came from where he instructed his disciples to take this meal. And he comes out. Jerusalem at the time of the Passover probably had a quarter of a million people there. Because a lot of people felt you went to Jerusalem for the Passover. And so what happened in the temple in those days was there were altars and they put gutters along the altars to the best of our ability to understand. And they were selling pigeons and doves and all kinds of animals, lambs. And so your family bought yours as a blood sacrifice for Passover. And so you would bring your animal to the altar and you would slice its neck and the water, the blood would flow off the altar into this gutter and it went down the hillside into this little brook. I believe if you were at the Kidron Brook today, it would be just about like this. And I could possibly jump from here over to where the altar is and, and you, could, you wouldn't even get your feet wet. But scholars tell us during Passover when there were a, probably a quarter of a million people there that the amount of blood from the sacrifice is coming down and filling up the brook. That day when Jesus went through the Kidron Brook, it was probably chest high. Couldn't jump it, walked through it, blood. Don't you know that Jesus understood in just a little bit, it will be my blood. I am, Jesus said, the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. And so when we went walking down and came to that brook, I stood there and I was taken. And whenever I observe communion, I think of my Jesus, our Jesus, not jumping over it, but going through it. His blood. So would you take that little wafer suffered more than you or I will ever suffer and he did it because he loves us if you think giving a hundred dollars to my son was a big offering this is far greater the body of our Lord Jesus Christ broken. He loved
loves you so much. He suffered for you. Take and eat the body of Christ. The disciples were probably chomping on that chunk of bread that he sent around when all of a sudden they noticed he was holding up a chalice. It was full of probably a wine or a fruit of the vine and Jesus held it up as Wangrid says. And he said, this is the blood of the new covenant shed for you. Suffering is a horrible thing, but giving all your blood is the end of life as we know it. He didn't just suffer for you. He bled and died. There was blood trickling from his brow and a crown of thorns. There was blood coming from his wrists and his ankles or his palms and his feet. A spear was cast into his side and it says the water came out. Jesus gave every drop of blood that you and I would be forgiven of all of our sins. Wow. Take and drink this and be thankful for the blood of Christ. Lord Jesus, I'm thankful that our church understands and practices Holy Communion. But it's not so much about the church deciding what it believes and how to do it. It's about each and every one of us not allowing it to be a meaningless habit. But every time we do it, no matter how we do it, to personally say, thank you for coming. Thank you for suffering. Thank you for dying. Thank you for being resurrected. And thank you for one day coming again. We celebrate you, Jesus. We love you. And all of God's people said,